imagine you are on a freight. Well, okay, you're afraid, but you're doing it anyways because you're more afraid of not doing it. Imagine making your own rules, your own playbook, your own red light, green light on everything in your life, your beauty, your body, your health, your success, your entire freaking life. Imagine feeling fully heard and fully seen and exactly who you are, leaving no part of yourself uncovered. If you're ready for that, then you are ready for taking up space the podcast. Here, we are having the tough conversations and we're ready to heal our trauma. Not only are we sharing our stories, we are owning them, big time. In this space, we embrace ourselves fully, owning our bodies as they are, owning all of our uniqueness. No more playing it safe, no more staying quiet, and no more letting society or diet culture call the freaking shot. It's time we take up the space that is meant for us and make our own rules, define our own beauty, and define our own freaking lives. We all have space on this earth meant for us. We all have a story, a passion, and a purpose. And they're meant to be shared. They're meant to be heard. So let's take up space. Hi guys, I am so excited that you're here with me today for another story on Taking Up Space, the podcast. Today we're going to be listening in on Sandra's story and um, she chatted with me all the way from California and her story is just so beautiful and it just really brought so much to the table, so much wisdom, so much insight and I just cannot wait for you to listen in. Now for those of you who don't know Sandra already, she is a 911 dispatcher and that is just so cool, so unique and she talks about that as well. Um, She is a travel blogger, um, a curvy influencer and she just represents the self-acceptance and body liberation in all of its true form. So I'm not going to keep you waiting. We'll just dive right on in and I'll let you start by sharing a bit about yourself and sharing your story with everyone. Okay. Um, My name is Sandra. I live in San Diego, California, and I am a 911 dispatcher. I just celebrated my 32nd birthday. So I'm... Thank you. I'm trying to get my life together because I thought that would already be done by now. So we'll see what (laughs) happens. Uh, We'll keep trying. Um, I just am really passionate about creating a community on social media with people. I think at first it was just because I really enjoy um, human connection. But over time, um, I was working really hard on trying to accept myself and, you know, really find a path for me that helped me be happy with myself, but not feel so restricted by, you know, the world's ideals of like what you should be or who you should look like or how you can be healthy or what makes you healthy. And I just really struggled to get to that point. And I think that over time, once I started finding my way through that, it was so cool to see how many other people felt the same way and how many other people were looking for that. And that solidarity really helped propel me forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think by seeing that so many people felt the same way, but also weren't saying anything, it made me want to say more. It made me want to share more. I'm very no holds barred because I feel like we all worry so much what people are going to think about us if we speak our truth. But then once you do, there's all these people who gravitate to you because they feel like exactly the same way and they feel trapped in that struggle too. So I really learned the value of being candid and. Um, you know, keeping it 
as authentic as possible, even mm -hmm. when things aren't that great. And it's been huge for me. Yeah, I love that you said that because that's literally how I feel about this podcast and why I made the shift because I think there is just so much power in sharing your story, not only for yourself, but for others who might be afraid to share their story and to live in who they truly are. Absolutely. I think the most, the most important thing that I've learned over the past few years, getting older and like kind of taking inventory of my life is that self-awareness is so powerful. But once you become really self-aware, you realize how many other people aren't there yet. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think taking that and using it to just be like, hey, this is me. I'm putting it out here. Here's what I struggle with. Here's where I'm having a, a victory or a triumph. And here's where I'm just really struggling and need a little bit of, you know, I need somebody to cheer me on or I need a little bit of guidance or um, a little bit of an uplift has really brought a shift into my life into the way that they, nothing really seems like impossible. Nothing really seems like the worst it could be. And before everything felt like the worst mm -hmm. and now I'm just kind of like, okay, we could totally get through this. I'm not the only one. People have been through this before. We'll be through it again and we can do this. Absolutely. And that's such a beautiful place to be, but I'm sure it took you quite a bit to get there. Oh my gosh. It's not even, I'm not all the way there. You know what I mean? I feel like we're never going to be there because right. we don't know. We don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. Anything can happen. Look at where we are right now. We're like in the midst of this like global crisis and we have to re-navigate through so many things. We thought we were doing so good with technology and communication. We thought we had all this figured out and now we're finding out, uh oh, we, we didn't. We can't ever think it's good enough. And I think that's very relevant to the way a lot of us feel who have been on a journey to more self-acceptance or, you know, just getting through the things that were holding us back from being as great as we are or accepting the greatness that we have. And for me, I, as long as I can remember, I, I struggled with food so much for at one point in my life or another, there's always been some sort of attachment to it that has just made things really hard. So there were times where... I had like, I was doing a lot of binge eating and I was comforting myself with food and I was hiding the amount of food that I was hiding and eating when nobody was looking was astounding. Um, and nobody would have ever guessed because if I was in public, I would not eat in front of people. Mm. And then there were times where I would be super restrictive because I thought that was going to help me get to where I wanted to be. So I went from one extreme to the other. Mm -hmm. Um, and at different points in life, depending what was going on, those are the things that were happening to me. I grew up in a really abusive home. And so that was like a stress for me. And the only way you can really deal with that when you're younger and there's nowhere for you to go. And those are the people who take care of you. Like you kind of look to whatever can comfort you. And for me, that was food. It was something that was usually accessible. It was mm -hmm. something that could um, make me feel better for a minute. But then I had to deal with the guilt after and I had to deal with like the shame that was just there because people are, you know, concerned about your weight or they're concerned about your health and they're not looking at the bigger picture. Yeah. Yeah. We really, as a whole, underestimate that for a lot of us, binge eating is used as like a comfort, what's oh, uh, um, sort of like a coping mechanism. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I think, it, no, go ahead. 
I was just going to say, and I, and I, I think a lot of us underestimate that, which makes the guilt kind of more amplified. The psychology behind a lot of what we do is so, it's so impressive how much they've been able to find out, especially, um, you know, I think it was 2011, I ended up having weight loss surgery. Mm -hmm. I, I never even thought I was big enough for weight loss surgery. And then I was talking to my doctor and I was like, listen, I'm trying so hard to do this, but I'm not doing it right. I don't understand. My brain does not work that way. My brain looks at food, not as sustenance, but as like, we need it because things are bad or we don't need it because things are good. I was like, I really need help with that. And at that time, have you ever considered weight loss surgery? And I was like, well, I guess that's one way to do it because if you can't eat a lot, then you just can't eat a lot. But still nobody was focusing on the bigger picture. The bigger picture is when things are hard, when things are stressful, food is the easiest way for me to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And my, there's a lot of history of addiction in my family. And over time I figured out like that was kind of my addiction. That was what I always run back to when things are hard. I don't have any of the problems with drugs or alcohol or things like that, but like food was my drug. And the more that we've treated obesity as a disease instead of as like, you're just lazy, you're not doing anything. I think that it's been amazing to find out how much of it is in your brain and how much of it really does need a reshaping and a reforming. Um, and we were really holding out on that from people for a long time. And it makes a huge difference when you start to get a grasp on that and kind of take it from the inside out. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you, what kind of headspace do you think, or what was going on in your life that brought you to that point where you're like, okay, I think weight loss surgery might be an, an option. Honestly, he brought it up and I was like, oh, I could do that. Like, I thought that was for people on like my 600 pound life. I was like 320 at my highest weight. And so when he brought it up to me, I was like, wait, I qualify for that? Like, I didn't even think, because for me at 320 pounds, I'm 5'9". I carry that different than most people, you know, um, or everybody carries it differently. So for me, I was like, oh, I didn't, I didn't realize we had gotten to that point. So there was like first and another initial like shame reaction, like, oh no, we've gotten to this point. But there was another part that was like finally hopeful, like, wait, wait, wait that's an option for me. They can literally make it so that even if I want to eat an entire box of little Debbie's, I kind of can't like, this is going to work. And I lost 130 pounds and I don't think I've ever been more miserable in my life than at that time at my oh, lowest wow. weight of 198 pounds. And it was because the food was what I used to feel better, but the emotions that needed to be healed, the trauma that needed to be healed, the the mentality that needed to be reformed and reshaped that had not gotten fixed when they went in and they made my stomach smaller. None of that got fixed. Right. And, um, that was a really big highlight in life for me is getting to that point and seeing that you can be smaller, you can look completely different and people are going to applaud you for that and think that you fixed everything, but you're the only one who wants to try to sleep at night, knowing that that doesn't fix your problems yeah. at all. So it was a big, it was a big leap for me, but it gave me, once I looked at it very realistically, and once I really saw that being smaller wasn't, wasn't solving anything for me, not the things that mattered to me, mm -hmm. that's when I had to just really change my approach and 
really advocate for myself and say, listen, what I need from you is not another weight management program. It's not a support group for people who, you know, are scared of food. What I need is somebody to sit here and help me turn around all the things that I've been feeling, like turn around all the things that are in my head telling me that this is the only way to cope and turning around all the things that say something is bad. We need to eat something. That's what I need help with. Not mm -hmm. how much I eat or what I eat. Those things you can teach yourself. You can have the discipline to do those things, but it doesn't change what's going on inside you and what's really dragging you down. And yeah. um, I think once I took that now, I'm right in the middle of those two weights. And I just, I don't really think about how other people see my body. I don't really think about, you know, feeling bad about what I eat. I don't look at food as good or bad or, or naughty or nice. Like I just try to make sure that I'm really mindful about doing what feels good and what keeps my body feeling good and what keeps yes. my mentality really good. And that is the, that is the most powerful thing that could have ever happened to me. Yes. I love that. So how long ago was that surgery? So that was in 2011. Okay. So it's almost 10 years ago. Yeah. It's been a long time. And, um, I forget about it a lot because again, it was like, it was a big turning point for me, but I just don't, um, I don't rely on knowing that that happened to get me through a moment of wanting to eat more. Like I do still sometimes have these moments where I am comforting myself with food mm -hmm. or I catch myself eating because I'm bored. And I honestly, I don't necessarily stop myself. I just say, okay, if you really feel like you have to eat something, then you just need to take a second and figure out what it's going to be. I, I don't even buy little Debbie snacks anymore, not because they trigger some emotion in me, but because I realize I actually don't like them that much. It's just what I had at the time. <laughs> and, um, yeah. you know, once you start thinking about food in terms of this is what I use to stay alive and to fuel my body so I can get through my day and like, take care of myself those things don't actually really taste that good anymore because you're not eating them to, to like take care of some feeling inside of you. You're just mm -hmm. eating because you know, you need to eat something. Mm -hmm. And so it was really weird how, once I got into that headspace, how many things I don't even eat anymore. Um, yeah. And I'm always like turning my nose up at a lot of fast food and people are like, Oh my gosh. And I'm like, it's so weird because if you would have known me 10 or 15 years ago, I like lived on that stuff. But now it doesn't even taste like anything. It doesn't even, when I want to eat, I want to eat something really good because I want something that's going to nourish me and something that's going to, you know, do what it needs to do for me to sustain and for me to feel really good. Mm -hmm. And that's huge because all they taught me back then was, now you're not going to be able to eat a lot. So just make sure that, and this is bad food and this is good food. Just make sure you stay in these parameters. That restriction is terrible for somebody who's had an eating disorder. And these are medical yes. people who are giving me that advice. And again, they were not treating the, we weren't getting to the root of the problem. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. It's definitely a lot more psychological than a physical issue. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I, I would imagine that over the past uh, almost 10 years, your relationship with food has done like a 360. Totally. I think um, I didn't, I didn't used to have a sweet tooth at all. And it's really weird because I probably 
you know, eat more mindfully and a lot more whole food than I did before. But now I'm like a person who feels like she has to have dessert all the time. And I don't know where that came from, but I have decided that I'm going to honor it because sometimes, you know, sometimes even though I have the taste for it, I don't do it because I'm like, oh, I don't feel like making anything or, oh, I do want something, but that's not what I want. Or, you know, so I, I, but I had to just kind of give into that, just honor it. And again, it, it had more to do with um, not living in fear that, oh, if you eat dessert every day, like how many more calories is that? I used to nanny for a family and I remember the mom all the time. She was very weight obsessed and she was like, do you really need to eat that? And I heard that voice in my head for the longest time. And after I had weight loss surgery, I remember I would always hear her and I love her. She's one of my favorite people in the entire world. And she's never made me feel bad for the way I look. It was more like she was projecting her feelings about herself and her like body dysmorphia on me and her daughters. Both of mm-hmm. her daughters also had weight loss surgery. Oh, and, wow. But we always, we joke and we're always like, do you really need to eat that? Or do you really need that right now? And, but how powerful that we could take it. And it's like an inside joke instead of being something that like keeps me up at night or keeps me away from the refrigerator when I just feel like I want to eat something. I need to eat something. And so again, honoring that has given me a lot of, um, I'm really proud whenever I honor that. And I'm really proud whenever I do things, you know, sometimes you're like, aren't you going to eat anything else? Or you never finish your food or this or that. And I'm like, no, I don't feel the need to explain anymore. Um, yes. And again, I just, I made it a point to, and a lot of people ask me, they're like, oh, I'm thinking about weight loss dirty. I'm like, listen, you have to make your own decision. Here's what happened. This was my experience, but I would really, really strongly recommend that when you go to do this, they're going to make you talk to a psychologist for 30 minutes and get cleared to say that you are in the headspace to get this done. But I would ask anybody who's seriously considering it because it is a great tool for some people. I just would really, really urge you to talk to somebody more frequently before you do it. And as you're doing it and really work on those things inside you that that push you towards food when you're having a hard time or when you're stressed or when you have like these triggering circumstances, I would really, really advocate for that because I think that if a lot of us dug a little deeper into it, we would see kind of the why behind Mm -hmm. that behavior and the pain behind that behavior, the trauma behind that behavior. And once you recognize that, and once you take that into your own hands and kind of empower yourself, it's a lot easier to face the world, let alone to face food. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I love how you point out that you're honoring your body by allowing yourself to eat when you feel hungry, because I feel like, you know, society and diet culture have put this twist on it where honoring your body is eating less or only eating foods that are, you know, on limits, quote, quote. And that's really not honoring your body at all. And so I love that you said that we're not designed for that. Like we're not in there. I I know different things work for different people, but like, I just, I can't see a world where I eat certain food at a certain time. Like when you put those restrictions on things for me personally, I'm just the type of person, the more restriction you put on me, the more stressed I am. Yes. I would not even consider like, what is it that people do like intermittent fasting? Yeah. I, Mm -hmm. I would never, I can go hours without eating and not even think about it and not be hungry. But the minute you tell me I can't eat for 13 hours, now it's going to be a problem. Yes, same. (laughs) And again, it's something that people, we see it work for somebody. So we're like, okay, I'm going to try, I'm going to try keto. I'm going to try this. 
keto is great for some people. For other people who have like predispositions to high cholesterol and heart disease, keto is a nightmare. Certain ways that you do it, or you know, I did Atkins when I was younger, probably middle school, high school. I was doing Atkins. Why am I in high school doing Atkins? Why is that a thing? You know what I mean? But it works temporarily until it's over, and then you have to reacclimate to different food again. And they're like, okay, throw this back in. Hello, my brain doesn't work that way. Now that I can eat bread again, I'm not going to eat one piece of bread. A sandwich has two pieces of bread. <laughs> yeah. So this is not going to work for me. And so I think just again, honoring, I, I had to switch that again, reframing. It's honoring my body. It's not saying forget the rules. It's not, you know, defying the food authority or the nutrition authority. It's just honoring my body, how I feel. I have a really random schedule. I work 12 hour, 16 hour nights. I have breakfast when most people are having dinner, like my first meal of the day, you know? So I have to kind of pivot and make sure that that works for me. But I think that we just owe ourselves so much more than conforming to some rules that aren't necessarily going to work for us and stressing ourselves out over those rules and feeling hungry just because they tell you that you should wait to eat or feeling hungry because you don't want what you're supposed to have. So you just won't eat it all or you eat all of it. Like I just, we just deserve so much more than that. Absolutely. Amen. So what would you say is like your biggest driving force in all of this and all of, you know, motivating you to do the work to, to, I'd say, heal yourself and, and to heal your relationship with yourself? You know, I think the biggest thing for me, initially the biggest thing for me was the light bulb that was like, oh, yeah, there's, there's something wrong here, but none of this was really about you and what you were doing. Like the, it was not it's not because I'm a bad person. It's not because I'm a lazy person. It's not because I don't know what I'm doing. There were a lot of things behind it. And once I was out of some of those situations, once I was more cognizant of some of those triggers or those things that made me feel that way, it gave me some power. And I think all any of us wants to feel, especially when it comes to a history of eating disorders or just in general, like a really difficult relationship with food, um, or with like the way you feel about your body, the way you feel about these, you know, these things, I think the most important thing that you can have is some semblance of power. And I don't think everybody agrees with that. But to me, I'm an adult. As soon as I became an adult and started doing things for myself, all the things that used to be somebody else's responsibility became my responsibility. Now I pay my rent. I take care of my bills. I'm responsible for making sure things get done. If I have the power for that, just thrown into my hands, then I think I should be able to have the power to say, you know what? I owe it to myself to feel this way. And another big part of it too was just realizing all around me, I thought everybody was looking at me, worried about me and how I looked or what I was eating. Almost everybody around you feels exactly the same way, whether they're 95 pounds or 595 pounds, they're not worried about me. Nope. Because they feel exactly the same way. And if they're focusing it on me, it's probably because they don't want to think about how they feel about themselves. Right. And I want to be part of a world where people see me and they're like, I want to be as comfortable with myself as you are. And I want to be as happy with myself as you are. Because again, I just think we all deserve that. Absolutely. Absolutely. We need to embrace our uniqueness rather than try to strip ourselves of all of our uniqueness. 
Absolutely. I love and that. we have to lead by example. You know, if I waited for somebody to come around to make me see, to make me want to be this way, I, I don't know that I would have gotten here because there weren't a lot of people who were as candid and there weren't a lot of people, a lot of people struggle with this stuff in the dark. And I understand that for some people, I understand feeling that way and we can't all be compelled to share. But because I am compelled to share, because I don't have that filter, because I don't have um, the weight of that stigma on me, then I feel like it's my responsibility to get out there and be like, if you feel this way, that's okay. Mm -hmm. But there are resources for you and there is a way out of this. And when you're ready, it's there. And if you don't ever want to share it, you don't have to, but you do have a responsibility to yourself to take care of yourself. And if it is something you want to work on, then you absolutely have the responsibility to get there and at least give yourself a fighting chance. Absolutely. And I think too, um, you can tell me what you think. Now that we have such a big presence of social media, it's even more powerful for women like you and I who get to that point where, you know, we've made it this to this point on our journey to be that light for somebody else, to help be that lending hand for another woman. Like you said, despite if she wants to, you know, stay more to herself or she wants to join us and, and start, you know, stepping up on the platform and sharing loudly their own story. I completely agree. I think that, you know, there's, there's a lot of power in numbers and also a big part of that process. There was nobody who really led me into it, but there are plenty of people who on my worst day, I share something and they're like, Oh my gosh, like you have no idea how much I needed this or, Oh, I've struggled with this too. And it's so hard. Here's what worked for me. Or I struggled with this too. But when I see what you're saying, that helps me. I always appreciate hearing that. It's not really, it's not my why, right? My why Mm -hmm. is because that's what keeps me accountable. I'm one of those people I learn by teaching. So if I know something, I only get better and better the more that I can share with other people and show them how to implement it too. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is so humbling and it is so like, it's just, it makes me so happy when somebody comes and tells me something like that because I'm over here trying to work on myself and keep myself accountable and keep my head above water and keep my why at the front of my mind. And for somebody else to see that and it helps them start feeling the same way. I'm just really passionate about that. And it makes me, it makes me so grateful that there is a community that we're starting to build because we all, we have that responsibility. If you can get out there and you can share your story and if you can get out there and you can, you know, even, I mean, just baby steps. They're like these little micro steps that kind of propel you forward. But the first step is just being like, I'm going to reach out to somebody and let them know that I identify with what they're saying. And then from there, I'm the first one. I get random DMs and stuff all the time. And I'm like, listen, we, they're like, I just wish we were friends. And I'm like, as far as I'm concerned, we are friends. Like, (laughs) right. We are friends and I've got you. And if you ever need an uplifting word, I can't promise you I'm going to get back to you right away, but I promise you, like, I will be here for you. If you just need to vent, if you just need to, whatever you need, like there have been people along the way who have done that for me. And I'm only going to pay that forward because that's what keeps me going. Absolutely. Absolutely. What would you say has been the hardest part of this journey for you though? Um, I think the hardest part is, you know, I, I'm a very eyes on the 
surprise person. And again, this is not something where you just wake up one day and you're like, all right, we did it. We hit the finish line and we're done. Like it's never going to be done. Not only do I have to keep encouraging myself and motivating myself and checking in with myself, we're even correcting certain things. I regress all the time into certain little things. You know, I have these, you know, I get a really bad 911 call at work and I'm like, I go take a break and I'm like, I, I need a bag of hot Cheetos. I don't need, I don't need a bag of hot Cheetos, but it feels like that might make me feel better after something that was just really hard for me. Sometimes I eat the Cheetos and I just make sure that I mindfully eat them. Other times I'm like, girl, you don't want the hot Cheetos. You're not even hungry. Like, what are you doing? Right. I still have, I still have so many of those moments. But again, I'm human and those are going to happen. But at least now I see them. And at least now I have a moment where it sparks in my head to like take control of it and make a decision. It's not always going to be the good decision. It's not always going to be the right decision, but I'm not living my life in terms of good food, bad food, right food, wrong food anymore. So it really doesn't matter. I do it or I don't do it. And then the next day we start over. Yeah. And I think just having those moments where I'm like, dang. We did it. We, we went to the hot Cheetos, just having that moment with myself where I'm like, okay, and like, it's one bag of hot Cheetos. You'll be fine. Tomorrow's a new day. Like sometimes that can be really hard for me getting to that moment where I remind myself, like, it's not the end of the world. You're not a bad person. You didn't do a bad job. You just had a moment. Yeah. It's, it's almost like the action of eating the hot Cheetos, for example, isn't necessarily a bad thing, but because you used it as a coping mechanism at an earlier point in your life and associated with guilt, it's like, we almost have to remind ourselves that by doing that, we're not going back to the old patterns. Exactly. Exactly. And I think just that fear creeps back in and I'm like, Oh no, you're doing it again. Like the next step you get into like this doomsday mentality and it's like, okay, when I go home, there's no hot Cheetos in my house. Not because they're not allowed in my house, but because when I'm at the store thinking about what I want for the next two weeks, hot Cheetos don't pop to the top of my head. Right. You know, but when I have this moment of like, Oh, this was the worst. All of a sudden the hot Cheetos are back mm-hmm. and that's okay. Like that's mm-hmm. going to happen. But like you said, it's just remembering that one hot Cheetos aren't the devil. They're just hot Cheetos. Um, they can't, they're not going to change my life (laughs) one way or another. One bag is not going to change my life. Four bags wouldn't change my life. It would just change the way I feel about myself for a second. My stomach wouldn't feel very good and it would be interesting. Um, but it's not, it doesn't mean that we failed. It doesn't mean that all the work we did was for nothing. And it doesn't mean that I'm not still doing a good job at taking care of myself. It's just one moment. And it's so hard. I think the way that we've been brought up, you know, to, it's like when your mom like makes you finish your food on your plate and you're not hungry, but you eat all the food. So everywhere you go, you're like, Oh, I didn't eat all my food. Like I'm a wasteful person. I'm a terrible person because I'm wasting food. And, And I'm just like, you're not a terrible person for that. You're just listening to the voice inside you. You're listening to your body say, I'm done. I'm good. That was enough for me. I'm satiated. Like you just have to get yourself out of that space of feeling like, all is lost because of one moment where you just took another way. And I, I think just understanding that those aren't failures, that those are just like, I I don't, I haven't found the right word for it yet. Like I, for a while was referring to them as like little roadblocks or little speed bumps. And I think speed bumps was like the best one because speed bump isn't going to like destroy your car, but 
you definitely after like, whoops, I didn't mean to hit that that hard. Like, I hope everything's okay. <laughs> you know, and that's how I kind of have to think about it. It's like, whoop, didn't see that there, but we got through it. And now we just got to make sure we see the next one. And um, that, that was really hard for me to adjust to is not feeling like every time something like that happens, that everything else was for nothing. We're still human. Right. We still got to get through those moments and you're still doing just fine. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it is so cool that you are also a 911 dispatcher. Oh, yeah, never boring. <laughs> I, how long have you been doing that? Almost five years. Almost five years. Now I have to, as a theory, I theorize, I guess I'm assuming that that you have to kind of cater some self-care to yourself around that because I can only imagine being a 911 dispatcher can be a little stressful. Definitely. Um, you definitely have to, again, reframe a lot of things only because when you're new, your whole life is turned upside down. You're working half of the day. So you work 12 hours out of 24, sometimes 16 hours out of 24. Um, your whole life is turned upside down because you're used to waking up in the morning and going to sleep at night. And usually when you're new, it's the complete opposite. And for at least like five to eight years, it's probably going to stay that way, depending on your agency and how seniority works. So it's definitely a little more stressful finding your own routine, but then on top of your routine and your like lifestyle being thrown off, now you're like taking on other people's like most traumatic experiences yeah. or, um, you know, I, I can't, I have to be honest. People think that all the time people are like, have you seen that movie with Halle Berry? As soon as they hear what I do for a living, and I still haven't seen that movie, but I promise you I will never chase after anybody who calls 911, ever. <laughs> I'll never take it into my own hands. But you definitely, you have a lot of calls that are kind of nonsense. A lot of people call 911 that really don't need us. So the majority of what we go on is kind of non-emergent, um, which is good because I can't imagine taking as many calls as I do and all of them being terrible or critical. Like that would be very hard. But it is, it is a little bit stressful because you sometimes just, you have people's lives in your hands, you know? I have been on the phone helping deliver babies and I've been on the phone trying to save a life or I've been on the phone when somebody is way beyond help and there's nothing we can do to help them except wait for people to get there. And that, that's the reality of the situation. But as much as that has probably brought some different and new stress into my life, it also gives me something that I need, like a fulfillment I need, because I need to always feel like I'm being helpful or being useful. And there's never a day, no matter what happens at work, that I don't get to go home feeling like I help somebody. So Absolutely. that definitely helps me a lot. Absolutely. Now, do you think that you would be able to be a 911 dispatcher and still stay strong in your own self-care if you didn't start this work on your own journey, you know, several years prior? I don't think if I hadn't started this journey so long ago, I don't think I ever would have gotten into this field. I don't think I ever would have had the confidence to go through the training. I was a little nervous going into it, but I was like, if, if these people are doing it, then you must be able to do it. And I'm really good at, I'm, I'm a good helper. You know, that's what I do. Um, but there were certain aspects of it where I was like, wait, 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 like, what, <laughs> what are we going to be doing? Who are we trying to help? What's happening? And, um, I don't know that I would have had the confidence in myself to do that mm -hmm. if it was 
you know, before maybe 2010, I don't, I don't know that I could have done that. I don't know that I would have believed in myself enough because for the longest time, I thought that my issues with food were basically a reflection on me as a person, mm-hmm. me as um, a person who could succeed. I felt like if I couldn't conquer that most basic thing that you can't avoid on a daily basis, that I wouldn't be able to be successful in anything. And this is a, it's a serious job. It's not for everybody. And I don't think I would have believed in my own abilities enough to do it. Wow. Yeah, I can see that. Now, did, through the time of your weight loss surgery, um, or before or after, did you ever um, seek like counseling or therapy personally? So there were times when I was younger, there were uh, times because again, I was in a more abusive home. There were a couple times where my, we were like referred into different programs to talk to people. Um, again, I find it, I find it completely crazy that through all of that, nobody ever really, I was very honest with the professionals I talked about and nobody ever really looked at the eating disorder aspect or any of that, more people were just interested in like what was happening in my house to like get people in trouble or to figure out what was going on Mm -hmm. more so than actually what was happening with me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I honestly think that's kind of where my passion comes from again to like be there for people because I know that my scope of what I can do to help people is very limited. But if you need somebody to listen and to find a resource for you or direct you to somebody who can help you professionally, I'm your girl. You know what I mean? I'm not going to sit here and pretend to be a therapist or a counselor or any of that, but I'm definitely a facilitator. And I had so many encounters with so many people, be it school principals or teachers or therapists or counselors or doctors in emergency rooms. You know what I mean? And even if they didn't believe me when I said, oh, um, no, I, I tripped over the cat and this happened and that's how I broke my arm, you know? And they'd look at me like, that's definitely not how you broke your arm. The person who brought you here broke your arm, but they would be like, okay. And then they would send me home with that person. Um, you know, and that's, you go to a counselor and you're talking about all these things that are happening and they're like, well, do you think you'd feel better if maybe you exercise more? Maybe we could get you. I, I think I was in the Jenny Craig program when I was 13 oh years old. Gosh. Um, until it was too expensive. And then my parents were like, you're not losing weight. So we're not going to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. But that's because I was still hungry. I am not really a frozen food person and I wasn't eating a lot of my food and I was so hungry. So then I was binge eating a bunch of stuff behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. So no, I wasn't losing weight. I went to Weight Watchers and I was like 12 or 13 also. Mm-hmm. And I remember sitting in the room and everybody's complaining about people bringing like cupcakes into the office. And I was like, one, I can't relate. And two, now I want a cupcake. Like, what are we talking right. about? I didn't want, I, they weren't. Nothing I was doing was actually taking care of the problem if people were even recognizing what the problem actually was. And that's hard to look back and see that because we are relying on these people to be the ones who can see it before we can, who can bring it to light for us because we need to see it so that we can fix it. Right. Nobody else was acting like I had a legitimate problem. They were just acting like I didn't have any control. And sometimes that was true. Sometimes I didn't have any control. Other times that was not the case. There were a lot of other factors. As soon as I wasn't in an abusive home anymore, I was a bedwetter, a bedwetter until I was like 15 years old until I ran away from home. Mm-hmm. As soon as I left home, that never happened to me again. 
And I would go to doctors and they'd be like, oh, she needs more fiber because since there's, I don't remember what wacky stuff they said about why this was happening to me because I wouldn't wake up in the middle of, nothing would wake me up. It would just happen. And I remember I left and I started seeing a therapist um, maybe like six years ago who was like, that's a stress response. She's like, that's literally a response to like being in a stressful situation. And we see that in tons of kids in abusive homes. And um, she has a specialty in eating disorders. And she's like, it is baffling to me that nobody ever addressed this and that they all just acted like you needed to work out more or like you needed to, I was an active kid. Mm-hmm. And I really, when I was doing well and not binge eating, I really don't eat a lot of food. I slept at the table so many times from not finishing my meals, you know, cause if you couldn't, if you didn't finish your plate, you didn't get to leave the table and I wouldn't leave the table cause I was full. Um, and nobody ever looked at the bigger picture. And now looking back, like, I want to make sure that I don't create an environment for anybody where they feel that way. And when I have a family, I don't want, I don't want to raise girls or boys who feel like, you know, there's something wrong with them if they have these struggles, because there are so many things you could say. It could be because my family has a background of addiction that I have food issues. It could be, you know, just a a traumatic environment or experiences, there's so many different things, but we can't always narrow in on what those are for people. And we can't tell people exactly why they're doing what they're doing. Only they really know what's happening, but we can definitely be aware enough to try to give them help or to try to bring it to the surface. And it was, when I look back, it's, it's really disappointing that nobody ever really, nobody brought it up. Yeah. And nobody saw what the real, uh, issue was that was going on and once I found out you would think that I would have been upset or I would have been like the person I am like I said considering those things to be such a failure like when I figured out kind of what all of this was I didn't even feel upset I didn't I wasn't mad I wasn't just I was just kind of like thank god like yeah. there's a reason there's a reason it's not just that I'm completely hopeless and can't figure this out it's just a culmination of all these things over my whole entire life that took over and made it to where this is how things happen for me. So now I just need to find a way to kind of move around that. I need to take a, like take the control back, take some power and like do better for myself. Now that I know why I'm doing it, it's a lot easier for me to not do it. It's a lot easier for me to check in with myself, learn that it's okay. It's okay to check in with yourself. Be like, do you really want to do this right now? It's not bad mm-hmm. to check on yourself like that. It's not as, it's not as restrictive as just completely staying away from something because you're scared you'll eat all of it. Instead, just look at it for a second and be like, is that really what you want? If yeah. it is, eat it. If it's not, right. you know, yeah. and but either option really is okay. Yeah. All of it is fine. It's just do yourself a favor and make sure that you're doing it because you really want to. Cause sometimes right. I really do. I like bought these Cadbury cream eggs today because I really wanted them and I brought one upstairs with me, but I haven't really wanted to eat it yet. I just know that I'm eventually going to want one, (laughs) which is fine. When I want it, I'll have it. Maybe it won't get eaten for a long time, but I saw it at the store and I was like, Ooh, it's that time. I'm going to get some. Right. And I can do that. There's nothing wrong with that. As long as I eat it when I want to eat it and not just because it's there. Right. Or don't eat it because someone else says you're not supposed to. Exactly. And that's something that I could have been practicing so much longer, so much longer ago, but it's okay because now I know, and now I have that power and 
you know, like they say, better late than never. But the nice thing is that I can encourage somebody else um, and hopefully motivate somebody else to like kind of start exploring how they can take that power back too. Absolutely. Absolutely. So on that note, what is your vision for the future? Where, what do you, what journey are you, you planning on embarking on? So I am really, really grateful that I've been able to build like my little online community of people. I'm not one of those people who's really on social media offering anything. I just am there. I'm just there just sharing my experience and I'm just there trying to cheer on other people. But I am working on, I love to travel and I'm working on putting together like group travel trips. Um, but I think they're going to kind of have a spin to them where they're about like, you know, the self-love thing is kind of played out. But at the end of the day, self-love is something it's been yeah. spun around a lot of times, but it is something that we do need to kind of focus on. So I'm kind of trying to find a way to make them more like self-love empowerment based, but just in really amazing destinations doing really cool things. And just taking a little bit of that time out to kind of connect with ourselves and kind of, um, you know, use it as like a re-energizing, refocusing type of thing. Like you're in this beautiful place, having an amazing experience, doing things more like a local, but you also walk away having met other people who have the same feelings as you or the same struggles as you and um, people you can relate to and kind of share your, your read energizing with and hopefully find people that you can connect with over you know the next however many years like you just have new people in your life that are kind of on the same journey no matter what point they're at in it so that's what I'm working on now so I'm supposed to launch that this year um but now there's you know the plague 2.0 changing travel mm -hmm. plans so we'll see what happens yeah but there's always <laughs> next year we can always delay anything it's not a big deal so that's kind of where I'm going with it I want to make sure whatever I do is very true to me Mm -hmm. And I think that's a very easy way for me to make sure that I'm providing something of value, but my focus isn't necessarily to like, you know, quit my job over it or get rich off of it or anything. It's just something I really want to do because I think it would be really cool to do. Yeah. And it's just another spin on doing something that I love seeing the world, but I could just do it with like like-minded people who can relate to me and I can relate to them and we can just have a really good time. I love that. I love that and I love traveling. I think I'm definitely going to have to sign up for that. <laughs> Even if you don't, just come visit me. <laughs> we'll go somewhere yes. down here. It's not a problem. Just come to San Diego. We'll drive down, down. to Mexico to the Wine Valley and we'll go down there. Sold. I'll, I'm, I'm game. It'll be well, fun. It, it, I, I, no doubt. I love wine. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing your story. Absolutely. Thank you for That's having beautiful. me. I'm so before, excited for your podcast. Yes, the the um the stories have been amazing. Seeing you build this has just been so cool. It's so cool that we met on Instagram and this is how like it's come full circle. Like that's so cool. It is. Social media at its finest. It's so powerful. Well, before I let you go, I do have one more question for you. Okay. So the name of the podcast is Taking Up Space. But I'd like to know what does that mean? to you um I was so excited first of all let me tell you when I saw that was the name of your podcast I died a little inside I was so happy <laughs> because like my most popular blog post last year was called it was like about taking up space literally um it might not even been last year it might have been the year before 
And for me, I think that, again, it goes back to, I feel like a broken record, like honoring yourself, but so many of us, no matter what your experience has been, we always feel like we are doing too much or taking too much attention, too much focus, too much space. And I think that just giving into your authenticity, just being a genuine, authentic person, um, even when it feels like it might not be received the way you hope it will, even when it feels like maybe it's too much or too little, I think that you are worthy of taking up that space, however much it may be, wherever we, it, however you do it, you're worthy of that. And for me, that just goes back to being 100% myself. For me, for you, for anyone else that I come in contact with, it's really important to me that the person you see on social media is the person that you meet if you met me in the grocery store or at the park or whatever it may be. And I used to be very afraid of that. I used to feel like it wasn't going to be well received or that it wouldn't be enough. Mm-hmm. And it was very eye opening to just give it a shot. And everywhere you go, like the world opens up to you because that's actually what everybody wants from all, all we want from each other is a genuine connection. Yes. And I think that that is the easiest way that you can take up space. And I think it's the most beneficial way you can do it too. Yes. Oh, I love that. I love that. Okay. So where can people come find you? Cause they're definitely going to want to come hang out with you after listening to this story. Come hang out with me. You can find me on Instagram. My Instagram is at curves and a carry on my blog. Same thing. Curves to carry on.com. Um, you can usually just see wherever I'm traveling to. I'm really terrible at staying current on Instagram, but it's because I feel like if what I have is not a value, I'm not going to post it. So right. usually I'm only posting when I'm on a trip or have something I really want to say. Um, but I'm always there, always hanging out. And I love interacting with people. It's really fun for me. So you'll see my stories on Instagram are, are just ridiculous, but it's because I'm just constantly engaging with people and sharing what they have to say. There's so much value in meeting all these different people and connecting with them because a lot of people have really cool things to say so you know I'm always sharing what they have and kind of throwing my two cents in and having a good time so you can definitely come find me there and we can hang out oh I'm sure they will (laughs) well thank you so much absolutely thank you Hey guys, thanks for joining me on another episode of Taking Up Space, the podcast. And if you're loving these episodes as much as I am, please, the best thing that you can do to show your love and appreciation is to share the podcast episodes with those that mean the most to you, with those that you feel would appreciate and get something so beneficial out of these episodes because that is the sole purpose, is to reach as many people as we can and to help affect and change so many lives for the better. So I love that you were here with me. And until next time, guys, bye.